Let me set this up. This is Acts chapter 13, verse four. Paul and Barnabas are the first Christian missionaries. So they are gathered together by the church in Antioch. They're blessed, they're prayed over. The church fast before they send them off like many of you did last week as we sent out our young people. Thank you for that, by the way. They send them off and this is their first encounter on the mission field. So I just want you to think about that. You know, the church blesses them, sends them out into the world and this is the first thing they encounter. So come with me to Acts chapter 13, verse four. The two of them, Paul and Barnabas, sent on their way by the Holy Spirit went down to Seleucia, sailed from there to Cyprus. And when they arrived at Salamis, they proclaimed the word of God in the Jewish synagogues. And John, that's John Mark, was with them as their helper. And they traveled through the whole island until they came to Paphos. And there they met a Jewish sorcerer and false prophet named Bar-Jesus, who was an attendant of the proconsul, that's the governor, Sergius Paulus. Now the proconsul was an intelligent man. And he sent for Barnabas and Saul because he wanted to hear the word of God. But Elymas, so Bar-Jesus and Elymas are the same guy. He has two names. But Elymas the sorcerer, for that is what his name means, opposed them and tried to turn the proconsul from the faith. And then Saul, who's also called Paul, filled with the Holy Spirit, looked straight at Elymas and said, you are a child of the devil you are an enemy of everything that is right. <clears throat> you are full of all kinds of deceit and trickery. Will you never stop perverting the right ways of the Lord? Now the hand of the Lord is against you and you're gonna be blind for a time, not even able to see the light of the sun. And immediately mist and darkness came over him and he groped about seeking someone to lead him by the hand. And when the proconsul, the governor, saw what had happened, he believed, for he was amazed at the teaching of the Lord. When I was reading this, I immediately, as often is the case, thought of a scene from Lord of the Rings. Okay. Um, there is this scene when Gandalf the wizard needs help. And so the good guys, the men and the elves and the hobbits and the dwarfs, are being overrun by forces of evil. And so Gandalf, the good wizard, goes to this neighboring country of Rohan for help. Do you remember this? And he goes into the king of Rohan's throne room, King Theoden. And he marches in there expecting that King Theoden will come to their aid because he's long been an ally. And he charges into the king's throne room. But what he finds there is this old king shriveled up on his throne. His eyes are foggy and it is as though he is under a spell. And it turns out he is. And everything Gandalf says, we need you to come to our aid. We need you to send your riders to come to our rescue. King Theoden can't hear it. And it's because the spell is being maintained by this guy at his side. Do you remember this? The guy's name is, anybody remember? Grima Wormtongue. And Grima Wormtongue is whispering into the king's ear, telling him not to believe Gandalf the wizard. And Gandalf cannot handle it, right? He says to Grima, he says, the wise speak only of what they know, Grima, son of Galmod. He says, a witless worm you've become. Therefore, be silent and keep your forked tongue behind your teeth. I have not passed through fire and death to brandy crooked words with a man like you. See, Theoden, here is a snake, he says. Okay, do you hear? Do you hear something there? Worm tongue, 
um, forked tongue snake. You hear that? You know what Tolkien's doing in this story, it's a biblical allusion to one of the oldest stories that we have in the Bible, where, who are they? Adam and Eve know clearly what is true. They have access to God's word in this special, immediate, profound way. They know exactly what the truth is, but someone with a forked tongue comes in and begins to whisper into their ear not to believe the truth. You remember this? That thing with the forked tongue is the snake, serpent, the evil one, Satan. Okay, so the oldest story, one of the oldest stories in Scripture, you got to think about this. One of the oldest stories of Scripture, a story that's trying to explain the human predicament that you and I and everybody that we know and love is in, is a story about clear truth. The Word of God in your life, and at the same time, this voice, this power of influence whispering in your ear, trying to keep you from believing it. One of the oldest stories that's ever been told. And so it's fascinating. Think about this. Paul and Barnabas, they've been commissioned by the church. They've been prayed over. They're feeling really good. And they're sent out into the world. And the very first thing they encounter is what humans have been up against since the beginning. You know, the word of God going into the world, trying to reach somebody who desperately needs it. And at the same time, someone whispering in that person's ear, don't believe it. It's not true. A serpent. And so that's what's happening here in this story. Look at this. It reminds me of what Paul says in Ephesians 6. It's kind of framed the way the Bible sees the world. Look at this. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. And I, I just want to pause there and, and look at that word. It's not so that you can take your stand against the devil's attacks. Take your stand against the devil's swords or spears. What is it? His schemes. Is that interesting? It's not like a frontal attack where you know exactly what's coming and so you defend yourself against it. How does the devil work? Schemes. That forked tongue. He goes on to say this, right? Our uh, struggle's not against flesh and blood, against the rulers, against the authorities. It's against the powers of this dark world and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realm. So this is what's happening to Sergius Paulus, the governor, here in the story in Acts 13. You got uh, the governor. I think he's a good guy. I like this guy. Uh, he, even as a man with all kinds of power, is seeking for a word from a power beyond his. You notice he calls for Paul and Barnabas, we're told why. He's an intelligent man. Why is he intelligent? Because he wanted to hear the word of the Lord. You see that in the passage? This guy wants to hear from a power beyond the power that he has. That's what he wants. But it's that same desire that has him in his cabinet at his side, bringing this magician, this sorcerer, Bar Jesus. Because at that time, Magicians didn't pull rabbits out of hats. That's not what they did. A magician or a sorcerer was believed to have power from a world beyond this one. Wisdom from a world beyond this one. So, Sergius Paulus is a good dude. He wants wisdom and power, ultimate truth, but he's hedging his bets. He's bringing it in from everywhere, trying to find what's most true. It reminds me of this friend of Lindsay and ours. We went to visit her and she was touring us around her apartment. And in her bedroom, she had sticky notes all over the bedroom. 
And some of the sticky notes had scriptures on it, which was so encouraging to see. But right beside those sticky notes was uh, encouraging quotes from some of her favorite influencers, right? Just all over the wall. And so every day she looks up and she sees God's word, but she also sees it surrounded by things that everybody else in the world has said. And I'm I'm not arguing with the fact that other people can say good things. What I'm arguing with the fact is she's unable to distinguish between what's a word from God and what's everything else. You see that? Like that's what's happening to Sergius Paulus. He's just, he's bringing all that he can. And what he doesn't realize is that when you are seeking, you are susceptible to influence. You are susceptible to influence and he doesn't even see it. But Paul does. He recognizes this. Look what he says to Bar-Jesus. You are a child of the devil. The one influencing Sergius Paulus, he says, you're a child of the devil and an enemy of everything that's right. You're full of all kinds of deceit and trickery schemes. You see it? Okay, what Paul's saying here is that the power influencing somebody, trying to distort God's word in their life or make it so that they can't discern between God's word and everything else, that there is a power beyond that influence that's really behind it. And that is the power of Satan. And so Paul recognizes that Sergius Paulus just isn't under the spell of Bar-Jesus. He's under the spell of Satan. And so he's gonna stage an intervention right here. He goes right after the one who's influencing Sergius Paulus, and he calls him out. This is uh, sometimes when I'm working on sermons, like I Google artwork in relation to certain passages that's been produced. And this is one of my favorite that I've found. This is from the 1500s, so it's very European. I'm gonna own that. But this is the encounter between Sergius Paulus in the middle, the governor, Paul on the left, and Bar-Jesus, the sorcerer, on the right. And you'll see Bar-Jesus, his eyes are closed. He has gone blind. So this is at the end of the encounter when, when Paul has called out Bar-Jesus as the child of the devil and said, the hand of the Lord will come against you and you will be blind. So this is at the end of that scene. What I love about this, if you'll zoom in there, is Paul shooting finger guns at at Bar-Jesus. It's one of my favorite things. Like he recognizes, I cannot let this guy who's under the influence of Satan be so influenced. And so I'm gonna intervene by clearly demonstrating there is more power in the word of God than in the words you are trusting right now. There's more power there and I'm gonna show you, okay. So I've been thinking about this story uh, for a couple of weeks and thinking about, so what is this story there that you see in that, that picture? What does that have to do with me? What does that have to do with us? What does that have to do with the people of God? today. And, and that's, that is the question you ask yourself about any passage is, how's this apply to me? And the more I think about this story, the more I think it hits at a couple levels. Uh, level one, two, and actually maybe a level three here. And I guess when I say that, I have video games in mind, like my boys' video games that they play. And they'll tell you, level one sometimes seems really hard. It turns out level two's harder. You beat level two, it turns out level three is even harder. And I kind of feel like that's what's happening with this story. But level one so dominates our lives in thinking that sometimes we think it's the only level. Let me own that 
first. We're going to start on level one, but I'm going to remind you level two and three are coming. Level one, how do we apply this story? I think a reasonable question to ask of this story is what does this story teach us about the Christian responsibility to intervene in the lives of cultural influencers and powerful politicians? Because this is one of the few stories that we have in Scripture, and we have a couple of them. It's one of the few stories we have in Scripture of a Christian who attempts to change the mind of a politician, an influencer, attempts to change his mind. Am I supposed to do that? What do you think? You know, if anything, I think this story makes clear. And if you don't hear anything else this morning, I want you to hear this. This story makes clear that we should be very, very careful who we trust our hearts to. And we live in a world that tells us we should trust those in power, politicians, the influencers on our social media feeds, believing that they are uninfluenced themselves. But if this story proves anything, it proves that those with the most power are often under the most influence. In fact, isn't it just by nature of politics that you surround yourself with people who tell you what to do and promise you they don't have a vested interest in what they're telling you, right? Isn't that just the nature of the game? Isn't that it? And yet we're convinced, we believe that these people are under-influenced and we can trust them with our hearts and we should be unbridled in our enthusiasm and support of these people. Give me a break. Man, it seems like the more power you have, the more susceptible you are to the power of the evil one. Does it not? I've been thinking about this question. So what is the Christian responsibility? We're gonna come back to this because there's so many more other passages we gotta consider. But remember, this is just level one. I'm not gonna get hung up on level one. I wanna get to level two. But a friend of mine I went to school with, he went on to do a PhD, he's much smarter than me. He's now a professor. And he wrote this great article recently. And he gave these four terms that he uses to describe what he thinks to be the biblical calling of Christians in relation, in relation sorry, to, to cultural powers and politics. He gives these four R terms. Let's throw them up there. He says, sometimes Christians are called to resistance. What makes Christians different, maybe than so many other people, is that we're able to discern who is being influenced and to resist that when they are. Sometimes we've got to resist. He says, other times we're called to repentance, that we see that influence that's happening out there in them is also happening in us. And so the church should be the first place to repent of the sins that we see in the world. Sometimes that's the calling. He says, sometimes the calling is reception. We believe God can work through imperfect servants. And sometimes he works through his imperfect servants in the world to accomplish his will. And then when that's the case, when they have done something that glorifies God, we should receive it and give God glory. And only other times, the fourth category, sometimes we're called to reform them. For God's glory. He gives examples of this. And I'm just wondering, come back to this story with me. Look it over. What's Paul doing in this story, this encounter with this politician? He's definitely resisting, isn't he? He's definitely resisting. Now, a part of us wants to say he's reforming this guy. 
Okay, but that's not, that's not what reform means. Reform means to change policies and procedures. And there is absolutely a place for the change of policies and procedures, but we're not told that Sergius Paulus policies changed at all. I hope they did, but Paul just moves on like he doesn't even care about that. Okay, and that's just such a reminder that those things are deeply significant and important. There's a time and calling for Christians to engage in those things, but that's just level one. We're gonna move on to level two, where it actually gets much harder and much more important, okay? Because here's the thing, as powerful as Sergius Paulus is, Christ Jesus apparently doesn't see him as a governor, as a great and mighty power, And apparently Paul doesn't really either because no attention is given to his power and his influence and what he can do. What's clear to me from this story is that Christ Jesus sees Sergius Paulus as his man, someone who belongs to him, someone he wants to claim for his own, someone he wants to save, and someone who is at risk. Someone who is at risk of not being able to receive the word from God that he wants to plant in his heart so that he will believe and be saved. He sees Christ Jesus, sees Sergius Paulus as his man, not as a governor. This becomes dominant to Paul's thinking. It's worth thinking about the first missionary encounter that he has is with a guy who's under the influence of Satan who cannot hear the word of God because of that influence. And this shapes and colors everything that Paul does from here on out. Paul looks at the world and you and I see all kinds of problems out there. Paul looks at the world and this is what he says is the primary problem. You know, when you were pagans, somehow or other you were influenced and you were led astray to mute idols. Paul sees the biggest problem in the world Okay, is that God's word is attempting to reach those people and they are so misled by the deceitful schemes of the evil one, they end up worshiping things that are dead and mute. He sees that as the biggest problem. People who Christ loves and died for who cannot be reached because they are under the influence, is what he's saying. And Paul says, hey, it's not, just, it's not just those who haven't believed yet. He says this can happen to Christians. He says this in Ephesians 4. There are infant Christians who are tossed back and forth by the waves blown here and there by every wind of teaching, by the cunning and craftiness of people in their deceitful what? Scheming. Deceitful scheming. And this just reminds me, when anyone pursues the voice of truth, there will be other voices trying to stop them. Lindsay, I, was, I came into the room the other day, she was watching something on her phone and she said, you have got to see this. And uh, it was a commercial from the Dove Soap Company. Have you seen this commercial? And the commercial is, starts with these, it's just a kind of a compilation of home videos and they're home videos of this like beautiful little girl. And the videos start when she's like two or three and she's playing and running in the yard and she's just full of delight and joy swinging in the swing and she's getting a little older in each video and she's holding hands with her parents and she's at a piano recital in one of those scenes. And then the next scene, it's Christmas morning. You can see the Christmas tree behind her and she's opening up a present. You know what the present is? It's her first iPhone. 
And she's like, I don't know, 10 years old, something like that. And she's just so happy at this point. And then from this point on, it's mostly selfie videos and it's screen grabs of the things that she was watching. The things that she's watching are these influencers, these women telling young girls they need to be skinnier, grabbing at the skin at their waist and saying this too much. And she's watching that stuff over and over again. In fact, she's doing these selfie videos where she's looking in the mirror and comparing herself to the videos of these people that she sees online. That's the whole commercial. And the commercial ends with her at an eating disorder rehab center with her mom. And Lindsay and I are watching this, we're just weeping, right? Okay, Sergius Paulus has this guy bar Jesus in his ear whispering to him and he's a governor and gets that kind of access, that kind of influence over him. I'm telling you, every single person in this room has that influence in their pockets. You know, every single day, trying to get them to believe what is not true because Satan wins if you cannot hear what's true about you. Satan is one. Like, don't believe that the people influencing you are not influenced themselves. They are. They are. What a loss. So this is level two, and I wonder, like, what's our calling? Like, people we love who are being influenced to not be able to hear the word of God. What is the calling? I don't have a slide for this. I just, this was in my personal Bible study yesterday as I was preparing for this. I was just reading this in the morning. Just listen to this. This is from 2 Timothy 4. Everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted, while evildoers and imposters will go from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. But as for you, continue in what you have learned. All Scripture is God-breathed, is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. Listen to what he says. So preach the word for a time will come when people will not put up with sound doctrine instead to suit their own desires. They will gather around them a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear. They will turn their ears away from the truth and they will turn aside to miss. He says, listen, if you care about people in your life who, are, life who are being influenced every day, there's one thing you do and it's the word of the Lord. And you speak that into their life. I mean, I'll tell you, it's hard to get up in the morning and get in God's word, isn't it? You're like struggling to find the motivation. Well, if you love somebody, if you love your kids or you love your grandkids or you love your brother and sister, or you love your parents, if you love somebody, get out of bed and get in the word because the word is what will save them by the power of Jesus Christ. Like the word is what can reclaim them from the influence of the evil one. Get in the word so you can preach it. Man, I'll tell you, I want to end with this level three. I didn't know there was a level three to this sermon. I wrote that, you know, get in the Word, and I was like, man, that's a good sermon. I'm going to go lunch. And uh, I went to lunch with a brother, and uh, we studied the Word together over lunch. It was a powerful time, and I'm driving home, and I'm like, man, you know, I wrote a good sermon today, spoke the Word in somebody's life. I'm feeling good. And then this song comes on, and it's, um, you know, I think about, again, how important worship is for reminding us of what's true. So thankful for the team in that. This song came on, it's called First Things First, Consumed by Fire. Have y'all heard this song? 
And it just hit me so hard the day I finished the sermon. This is what it says. All the things that I have held dear, the vanities that whispered in my ear, what would I do if they all disappeared? Riches and fame and all that they could buy, I've come to find they never satisfy. What would I gain if my soul's the price? I don't want to love what the world loves. I don't want to chase what the world does. I only want you. First things first. And I thought, there's a level three. And the level three is me, right? You know, I'm so caught up in thinking about what the great and powerful people are doing in the world, and that stuff matters. And I want to influence that for the sake of God's glory and good. But listen, that's just level one. Every day in my life, there are people all around me under the devilish influence of the evil one, trying with all of their might to keep the straight ways of the Lord crooked, trying to keep the Lord by the power of his word from coming to them, those people I love and care about, and they need more than anything, the power of God's word in their life. That's level two. Then level three hits me, and it's this, I am being influenced too. That's the same thing in my pocket. (laughs) Same one in yours as in mine. People in my life, things I crave, desire, all those things are influencing me too. Man, God, redeem me. Keep me from them for your sake and for your glory, right? Don't, do not let yourself be influenced by what is not the word of God. Don't do it. Let me say a prayer over you. God, we believe that more powerful than all the words we hear as we will leave this place, all the things spoken over us, against us, by us, to us, none of that matters compared to what you speak over us. God, make us a people who crave more than anything else your word who desire more than all things your son Jesus and his Holy Spirit and the truth we find in the one who is your word. And we pray this in his mighty name. Amen.